They say never meet your heroes, the suggestion being that the disappointing demands of reality necessarily trump the romantic ideal when it comes to figures of inspiration. But what, if you're lucky enough to find it, about taking your dream job? Does the same logic apply, that the quotidian details and demands mean it just won't, it can't, live up to its abstract appeal? Even for the most skillful and committed entrepreneurs, then, is there a certain jeopardy in chasing the dream? Today, we're sitting down with one fearless leader who took the plunge and signed up for the unique challenge presented by her ideal role. She joined renowned international fitness brand SoulCycle, slap bang in the middle of a business plan-breaking global pandemic, and, as if that weren't enough, with a late-breaking crisis of corporate culture to navigate too. Evelyn Webster took over as CEO of the SoulCycle business in December 2020. Previously, the boss of Guardian News and Media's international operation in New York City, and before that, a luminary of Time Inc., amongst others, Evelyn had been a committed soul cyclist herself for a number of years. For her, as for its legions of fans across North America and here in Evelyn's native UK, SoulCycle was so much more than an indoor cycling workout. To those devotees, being part of the SoulCycle family was about passion, progress, and perhaps most powerfully, a palpable sense of community. As the company itself puts it, the bikes may be stationary, but they'll take you as far as you want to travel. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs with me, Tom Edwards. So on Evelyn Webster's to-do list then, keeping SoulCycle on track through the small matter of COVID, rebuilding corporate culture and ensuring a beloved brand with a fiercely loyal base can, nevertheless, adapt evolve and enjoy a profitable future. Quite the intro. Let's meet the entrepreneur and leader tackling those challenges head on. It's a pleasure to welcome Evelyn to The Entrepreneurs. Evelyn, let's go back to that moment then in late 2020 when you decided to join with all the attendant challenges I've just mentioned. What was it like, Evelyn, making that leap? I was ridiculously excited. I was interviewing for the role over the second half of 2020, really. And I'd previously been at The Guardian as we'd gone into the pandemic. And I was, well, now upon reflection, I realised somewhat naive, thinking, oh, we're going to come into 2021. I'll have this new role at this amazing brand, which personally, as a consumer, I'd been a huge consumer of. And here I am bringing it out of this pandemic. So that was very, very exciting. Lots of change. And I was looking for something in my life and my career that was quite significant change. And SoulCycle was it. Of course, what I've subsequently learned is we were not emerging from the pandemic at all. And here we are, what, towards the Q4 2022. And I think very firmly we are still living with the residual effects of the pandemic and it has fundamentally changed the business that I run, the brand and what the future growth path looks like. But it's Mm. equally as exciting. It's just a different exciting. You know, it's been a tumultuous two years is I think yeah, it's definitely been tumultuous it. yeah and I think there's been lots of jeopardy there's lots of sort of trite phrases trotted out in the business about you know learning more when things go wrong etc mm. but do you subscribe to that and actually do you think it is a driver of innovation of new thinking when you face a kind of challenge and I don't think it's it's not overstating it to say an unprecedented suite of challenges as you found over the last couple of years can you find those positives amongst the challenge I absolutely believe in all of those trite expressions that say, you know, crises breeds innovation. It really does, because you have no choice. I mean, you can either 
curl up into a little ball and disappear, or you can think, okay, what is the business that I'm in? What what is it that we do? You know, at SoulCycle, we connect with people on a very personal level. You know, we are, of course, we're a workout. It's a physical workout. So that's not great in a pandemic when your studios have closed down. But we go way beyond the physical workout. We are a mental, spiritual, emotional workout, if you will. And so that that was needed even more so in the midst of the pandemic than arguably prior to the pandemic. So, of course, crisis absolutely breeds innovation because you have to think, God, how am I going to connect with my riders, my consumers, the people, the members of our family, of our community? And so we very, I mean, it predates me, I should say, we very, very quickly pivoted to outdoors. So I don't know if you've ever been to a soul cycle, but what we do, we do in a enclosed, darkened room, candle lit, very much riding to the music. So we ride to the beat of the music. That's why it's a fun workout. And we very quickly pivoted to doing that outside in broad daylight, in quite extreme temperatures. I mean, I remember riding in a puffer jacket outside with one of our New York instructors in Hudson Yards with a headset on. You know, it was one of those silent disco kind of setups. So a complete turnaround from everything that we had been for 16 years prior to that point. So, yeah, it absolutely does force innovation because you have to think outside the box and have to unpack all of those things that you've assumed are inherent in your brand. You have to ask yourself, is it really, can we do this in a different way and connect with consumers in a different way? And we did. We certainly did. And now one thing that strikes me as interesting is your reference there to this community. You actually said it's like a family mm. and that there is a fierce loyalty to SoulCycle. Where, what are the drivers? It's got deep roots and you mentioned it, it predates your arrival, but you've certainly consolidated it and built it and expanded that. Is there something in the water? Why does SoulCycle <laughs> encourage, foster that degree of... It is an almost religious commitment by some of its uh, protagonists. Yeah, well, we don't often say that, but it is quite... I mean, you know, when I first joined SoulCycle, so almost two years ago now, when I first joined, I'd do town halls with the team and, and sometimes, obviously, your listeners can't see me doing this, but I'd rub my fingers together. There's like something quite magical that I really could never quite put my finger on. I mean, that is the power of the brand. It connects with people. There's an emotional tug there. When I first joined having been a rider for five or six years before I actually became employed by the company and serve the organisation in the way that I do. When I first joined, I spoke to a lot of our riders. I said, oh, you know, tell me about your experience with Seoul. And this is what they said. They said, Seoul has got me through some of the most challenging, traumatic, happiest times of my entire life. When my a parent died, went through a divorce, met my new partner, my new husband, my... And it's the fact that Seoul Cycle through the experience from the minute you walk through the doors of our studio to the moment that you clip in on the bike with these incredible instructors, there is an intimacy and a closeness that many have tried to replicate but cannot. And that's how our consumers describe the experience, our riders describe the experience. It feels like this is my family, my friends. I've met some of my closest friends at the Soul Cycle. I've connected with it in a way that is indescribable. I mean, it is phenomenal in my extremely long career. I don't think I've ever worked for a brand where consumers have described it in such personal and intimate terms. It's quite extraordinary. Well, if you're navigating that kind of enterprise, then the importance clearly of being present in your consumers' lives is there. But what about from a business point of view? Because we've had to navigate on both sides of the pond and everywhere and still feeling this actually in a lot of markets, Mm -hmm. this challenge of getting back to -to face-to-face. Yes. 
critically important to be present and you know big media brands you just can't tap into the dynamics of a newsroom without being there where are we at where do you stand on the kind of hybrid future in this sort of thing do you think there's still quite a lot to be figured out before we know before we know the direction of travel so look there's i think lots of things on this subject as my colleagues in hq who were mandated back three days a week last year very quickly realized in my experience and pov you can't schedule spontaneity And so there is, certainly in the business that we are in, it's about human connection. That requires human connection, quite literally. And so, now, of course, what we are accommodate, all of our studios are open. And so as a HQ, expect that there is a, all of our, my colleagues, we are present both in our studios, but also in our HQ. But of course, we've accommodated flexible working. And so we are in the office three days a week. We work remotely, wherever that is two days a week and that I think is perfectly manageable so I have embraced I was quite old school and I was like oh I want everybody back in the office the whole time I've embraced flexible working but I do think a presence with your colleagues your teammates is critically important and you know when a lot of people were telling me that I was kind of out of touch but for mandating my colleagues back to the office three days a week I strongly believe that in two or three years, companies that haven't mandated it will deeply regret that decision because it will have a cultural impact, which I think goes beyond anything that possibly we are considering right now. And I think culture is really critically important to an organisation's health and growth. And I want a strong culture at SoulCycle and I think that requires us to be physically in the same room with each other, at least some of the time. <laughs> yeah, here, 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 I was going to say. And that's an interesting point, because obviously when you did arrive in December 2020, lots of complexities internally with SoulCycle, so much positivity around the, the brand and the business, but it had some it had some very immediate, pretty urgent and quite profound challenges on that corporate culture side. Mm-hmm. It strikes me immediately, even that you're the sort to be like, right, let's get stuck into this, roll the sleeves up and pile in. But you must have had a moment where you thought, right, I don't know, maybe this is a bit different in character some challenges you'd faced before. How did you start to kind of calibrate what they were and make sense of what your response needed to be? So first of all, when I joined SoulCycle in December of 2020, all of our studios were closed and I met all of my new colleagues via Zoom, which was challenging, as you would expect. I am very much, a, I'm an extrovert. I, mean, I take my energy from people and you know, I really believe that you need to build strong trust with your colleagues, particularly if you're walking into an organisation where perhaps there had been some missteps in our growth, you know, over the few years leading up to my actually joining the organisation. Here's what I said. I came from media right before I joined SoulCycle. So when I was researching the company, when I was going through the interview process, I was Googling SoulCycle. And as a consumer, I'd never heard anything. And of course, as a researcher looking into the company, what I read were some challenging headlines of the kinds of challenges that we had seen over a couple of years at SoulCycle. Here's what I say to the team. I am very much, your observation is absolutely spot on. I roll my sleeves up and get my hands dirty and just get in. We're humans. Humans make mistakes. Our business is about community. It's about family. It's about human connection. It's about emotional connection. It's going beyond the workout. It's a phenomenal workout, but we go way beyond that. So many of our riders say, I come for the workout. I stay for everything else that SoulCycle gives me. When you have that kind of profound impact on consumers' lives, that's the human in each of us. And so as humans, we make mistakes. The first thing that we do is we acknowledge perhaps we have made mistakes Perhaps there are things that we could do to improve. 
I'm very much an individual that's grounded in values. And so the very first thing that I did at the organisation was we pulled together a group of people and said, let's take a look at our values. Are these values that we live by, that guide our actual behaviours and interactions with each other every day of the week? Or are these values wallpaper, wonderful things that we see framed on the wall? And what I found was that perhaps we had neglected our values. And so we we had a reset moment where we re-looked at the values, re-established the values that we aspired to and towards as an organisation. And we all, every single one of us, made a commitment to be governed by those values. And so we put everybody through behavioural training as it pertained to our values. We made it a very real and very practical thing. And it almost feels like a contract. You know, I, with my colleagues, you hold me accountable to these values. Equally, I will hold you accountable to these values. And that means that actions carry consequences and any work that an organisation undertakes to address cultural issues, it takes time. It's work in progress. And I've been there for almost two years and I definitely think we are work in progress. And I suspect we always will be because we're humans and it's about human connection. Have you noticed an improvement in terms of the willingness of other stakeholders to embrace exactly that kind of thinking? It strikes me it's similar in terms of making a workplace look more representative of the world that it's talking to, women in leadership positions, for the longest time that was this great battle and then it seemed maybe there was a tipping point when it became decisively proven that actually companies would do better <laughs> whatever <laughs> metrics you used by exactly doing that, having more women on the board, etc. Is this the same kind of thing? Companies that have real clarity about their purpose and their values, maybe that's harder to quantify five years ago, ten years ago, but now... It's going to be a driver of success. Does that make it an easier conversation to have? Is it still pregnant with all kinds of other complications and complexities? Do you think the situation is any better? Well, first of all, it's better because we're having the conversation. I mean, you know, the very first thing, that's why I always laugh and say, you know, the first thing that I do is just, I'm a very open, very direct individual. We have monthly town halls where my colleagues, all 1,200 of them, can have an interactive discussion, which means that they can berate me very publicly if they're not happy with something that's going on at SoulCycle. But diversity is critically important. I mean, I can't think of an organisation, a brand, a community whereby diversity isn't a really critical component of the mix. Of course, when we talk about diversity, we've got to be very clear that that means a lot of different things. Diversity of thought, gender, sexual orientation, racial, ethnic definitions. It's a very, very, very big term that applies to lots of dimensions of diversity. And SoulCycle has made a very clear, very public commitment to diversity. It is not something you fix overnight. That is definitely, I mean, from a gender diversity perspective, the organisation is very strongly female, which is marvellous. But of course, literally, we want diversity. So we do, (laughs) we want everybody to work at SoulCycle. So to serve the community that we serve, to have the impact that we want to have in the world, we have to look like and feel like the community that we seek to serve. And so diversity is definitely something that we are very focused on at SoulCycle. And we have been talking a lot about over the last few years since I joined. I think it's refreshing, this commitment to doing things that necessarily have a longer timeline because Mm -hmm. it suggests to me an intent about doing consequential work and making meaningful achievement. It's too easy. And we see it in public life, you know, even on a governmental level. Why plan for five years? You're not going to be around. And that's 
Maybe that's a bigger question for, <laughs> for, for another day. Before we started recording, you said something interesting to me about, because we were reflecting actually on your days at The Guardian in, in mm. New York, of course, and mm. further back, Time Inc. Some paths crossed even with our own founder, yeah. Tyler Roulet, back in his wallpaper days. And <laughs> this is going back a little bit. But you said something interesting to me about how you maybe compartmentalise, I don't know, I don't mm. want to put words in your mouth, no. but compartmentalise parts of your career. I just was interested to sort of pull at that thread a little bit. Is that my media days and now my soul cycle days? How, what were you sort of get alluding yeah. to that? Do you know, I think about my career, my life in chapters and perhaps I'm, I like to box things in too much and I shouldn't do it, but it feels like an extraordinarily long time ago that I worked in magazines. But there is a common theme that I think that runs through the various chapters of my career. When I was in magazines, because I'm really quite old, digital was a thing. I, mean, I remember launching, I worked at a company called IPC Media, which was ultimately owned by Time Inc and Time Warner. And I remember working on a brand called New Scientist and launching IPC Media's very first website in 1995. So I feel as if I was, I worked during this amazing period in magazines where we were going through the digital transformation. And I eventually, you know, with Time Warner, I moved over to the States and worked at Time Inc. in the States. That chapter in magazine media, because it was at that point, an extraordinarily challenged business. Like we were going through this digital transformation, kept on thinking, you know, magazines. I remember going on so many conferences and sitting on so many panels. People would say, will magazines survive? Mm. I can't believe that we said that. Well, the, death of, the death of print was pronounced <gasps> on an almost weekly basis. Oh, my God, it was just, 90s, was it? It was yeah. insane. So it was fascinating for me that for 16, 17, 18 years, I'm like crazy, I worked in magazine media constantly striving to diversify, to transform, to shift into this new world. And of course, magazine media is thriving today in a way that possibly we didn't consider 20 plus years ago when I was there. Then, of course, I moved into news, not so much by design, rather more by default. So that was when The Guardian came to speak to me and said, we're in the US and we'd like to build a a bigger presence in the US. Could you help us? And I kind of thought, no, I want, I'm ready to try something else outside of media. David Pemsel was the global CEO at the time. He's terribly, terribly persuasive. I don't know if you've met him. <laughs> Kath Viner is the incredible editor. And so I agreed to go for a four-month contract and stayed for four years. And I was their international CEO. And it was the time when Donald Trump had just been elected president of the United States. And I felt... If there was ever a time for The Guardian to have a significant presence in America, 2016 was it. And so I had the most phenomenal experience working, you know, with The Guardian, doing, you know, in my very small way, trying to help them build their business. It is now a very, very, very significant business in the United States and elsewhere across the globe. But it wasn't by design. So that's why I I almost call that chapter two, really. And then after I'd been there for about four years and... Fortunately, in my view, Trump was out. It felt like the right time to look for my next challenge. And so I didn't quite think that SoulCycle would be quite as challenging as it's ultimately (laughs) been because of the pandemic. But I wanted to try something very different. And so that's when I decided to really explore what do I love doing. And I loved SoulCycle. I was, as I say, I was a very active member of that community. And so I then heard that they had an opening for a CEO and thought, that's got my name on it, that job. Well, it's funny, <laughs> and I, I've kind of read about and heard you speaking before about exactly this moment. And it's not, I mean, we talked about offices and how you get these moments of serendipity and how beneficial that can mm. be. But this seemed very intentional. And I was minded of that warning, what is it, never meet your heroes or never work with children animals, whatever these other <laughs> cliches. But it's part of you, if you're thinking about, look, this is something that has really spoken to me and I love it. 
dare I go that near to it? Were you were you, were you in two minds, or was it just too attractive a prospect to resist? I'm only quiet for a moment while so I gather my thoughts <laughs> and think, okay, how, how am I going to answer this? So uh, it didn't. There was never any doubt. Honestly, when you, I don't know if you've ever taken a class. If you haven't, shame on you, you ought. It's quite an extraordinary experience to be clipped in on a bike, be riding to the beat of the music and to be sitting there as a CEO thinking, God, if I was in charge of SoulCycle, I'd do this and this and that. Just my head would burst with ideas. So there was never any doubt. I just thought, what an amazing opportunity to go and do the thing that I love doing professionally for a brand that I have such deep admiration for and could see only growth opportunity. The reality of going to SoulCycle in the midst of a pandemic has meant clearly there have been moments where I'm not quite doing what I truly expected myself to be doing, which was, you know, opening lots of studios and diversifying the brand. And But it still gives me incredible joy. It's an indescribable experience that still gives me a tremendous amount of joy because we have these incredible rock star instructors. I mean, it's interesting. Fitness companies occasionally phone me and say, would you consider coming to run our fitness company and I always respond with well one thank you I'm very flattered but two I didn't come into the fitness industry I came to work at SoulCycle I mean it's an incredible it's like going to a concert we often laugh and say you know it's literally like going to a gig or something and it's 45 minutes later you think god that was magical that experience it was just phenomenal so no the joy I get out of SoulCycle is still very much there despite the many challenges that we face through the pandemic. One imagines that in terms of growing a business and building a a brand and its value, whether that's sort of cultural or or financial, there must be something special to that sense of community. I know it's harder to quantify, but that's kind of the the X factor, isn't it? You can have a growth model and you can open more locations, as I'm sure you you will and are planning to do so, and in more geographies. But that's the thing, presumably, that is the, the gold dust, the magic thing that could take it from being a serious, serious player to something on an altogether different plane. Is that, I mean, that's kind of exciting, but mm-hmm. it's a bit scary because, <laughs> and I guess a lot of that, that's a personal responsibility you've taken on to drive that process. Yeah, I think if I really try and distill how is it, why is it that SoulCycle connects with its members, the members of our community, it's because of the relationship that the rider has with the instructor. And oftentimes we'll say it's moving meditation. People will come to SoulCycle for lots of different reasons. Some come for a really athletic workout. I started SoulCycle as a means of cross-training. I'm a marathon runner, so I, or I was a marathon runner, I should say, and I wanted to do something that was a kind of complementary to running. So some people do it largely for physical reasons. Others do it because it is moving meditation. Some of them do it because it's an emotional balm. Others do it because it's just great fun, right? For me, when I look at SoulCycle and I look at the opportunity, I think, how do we leverage the relationship that Soul and its rock star instructors have with its community to do more. What would moving meditation look like if we got off the bike? You know, if I wanted to kind of lean into the athleticism, the performance elements of Soul Cycle, what would that look like if we got off the bike? So for me, the abundance of opportunity when we lean into the soul of Soul Cycle is really quite significant. And I always laugh and say, you know, our name is very intentional. It's not an accident that we're called SoulCycle. Our founders were very thoughtful when they named SoulCycle. And it's because of the connection that goes beyond the physical. And for me, I get super excited when I think about the opportunities for Soul trademarked going forward. On the Entrepreneurs Programme, I often try and sort of pick away at people's inspirations. And I know you've spoken before about your mentors, I think some Mm -hmm. specific individuals who 
And it seems to me one of the things that was most empowering for you was, in a sense, just to be or to try and be fearless, which is always a bit of a, it's an easy thing to say and it's harder to do. If we look at a few, I don't think there's any easy, you know, there's no shortcuts to success in the mm-hmm. kind of games that we're talking about here, Evelyn, but, you know, what are some of the tenets, I guess, that have informed your successes across all these different rounds? Mm-hmm. Is it that fearlessness? I know one thing was just this thing about just go for it. What are some, some of the things, to someone who's maybe starting out on their journey? I have to say, I mean, I've been very fortunate to have many mentors guide me through my career, one of whom is a lady called Sylvia Orton. And I remember she indirectly gave me a piece of advice, indirectly because I was being very nosy and listening to a conversation that she was having with somebody else once at dinner a thousand years ago. I mean, literally, it was the very beginning of my career. And she was berating a colleague who had not stuck their neck out, who, who hadn't voiced their true opinion in a boardroom or a meeting room when a decision was being made. And I heard her very angrily saying, your job is to put your neck on the block. And it really stuck with me from that perspective of taking risks and not being afraid of making the decisions that we need to make in the best interest of the people that we're responsible for, the business that we are running, the brand that we are supporting. And so I think that gave me a sense of it's okay to be brave And it's okay if the consequences of being brave might be something that you would rather avoid. So getting into trouble, being let go, as long as you were making the right decisions for the business, the brand, the people. That really resonated with me very, very early on in my career. And so oftentimes when I'm mentoring or coaching colleagues who are, you know, starting out in their career, I'll say, be brave, be fearless, Feel comfortable looking at yourself in the mirror that you've made the right decisions for the right reasons. When you do that, you will find nine times out of ten you'll make the right decision. And by the way, if you make the wrong decision, it's okay. Own it. We're all only human. We make mistakes. So I think that guidance, that advice very early on in my career or me listening to somebody else's conversation really resonated with me and has stuck with me ever since. I like that. And good advice is good advice, even if it's not actually directed uh, exactly. at you. Exactly. I stole it. <laughs> something that I find interesting, though, do you think it is more difficult, and I don't know if this is a consequence of maybe it's that other mirror people hold up via social media just over the last kind of couple of decades... It seems to me sometimes people are maybe are maybe more fearful about that kind of error, that misstep. Maybe it's a different kind of scrutiny and they're not worried about the editor's red pen or the approval or not of their mm. boss, but this sort of more abstract judgment that sort of flows in from everywhere. Has that, I mean, it obviously complicates things, but do you think it might make younger people starting out be a bit more wary? I mean, that seemed to be sad if that were the case. I completely concur. I think it, it is very likely to make less experienced executives kind of think twice about the public criticism that might be aimed at them through social media or through... We're very public right now. Certainly when I was growing up, social media wasn't really a thing. So I didn't have to worry about the haters. It's interesting with working at SoulCycle, more than any brand that I've ever worked for, I was going to say when our consumers are not happy with us, but when our followers are unhappy, they may not actually be consumers of the brand, but they follow SoulCycle because it's such an iconic brand. They can be deeply critical and aggressively so. Mm. And that might make you know a different executive or a different leader afraid to make the decisions that are right for the business and the brand going forward. So I can only imagine how challenging that might be if you were kind of growing up in your career now. But I'm at an age where and I had that advice, you know, 30 plus years ago. And 
I am who I am. I can't change that now. <laughs> The head goes on the block. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my she, job. It's what she said. That's uh, right. Look, just finally, this is kind of to wrap up and to draw a few of the strands we've covered together. Plainly, the, the excitement sings in the way that you talk about Soul Cycle and what's next. But what are you most excited about? Is it about that we can now properly get back into the world? I don't think you've been in, in London even probably that much. Or No, I, I mean, I, this is probably my second trip to London. So Since I've been there, yeah. It's a little bit like 2019 and before. Yes. Presumably you were you were here much more often in your previous roles. What are you most excited about? Is it a bit about that, finding more inspiration by being able to get out there and meet your consumers in other markets? So what I'm really excited about is when I see our riders coming back into the studios. I mean, it is incredible, but we closed our doors in March 2020. And for many of our riders, they literally, we opened the studios, they snapped right back. They were back, they were unafraid, they were like, oh my God, we, there was so much pent-up demand and that was incredible to see. But for many of our riders, their lives have changed so dramatically over the last two and a half years. You know, they've physically moved away from studios. Their companies are only now just mandating them back to the office. So we still today have so many of our riders who are re-engaging with SoulCycle after this kind of, you know, two and a half year, three year gap. And so for me, when I see those riders in our studio and when I welcome new riders who've never experienced SoulCycle, I mean, that's what I've seen a lot of in London, actually. We have a lot of new riders joining the family. To see them have breakthrough moments when they're clipped in on that bike, that is why I joined SoulCycle. And so for me, bringing the community back, bringing the family back, it's really exciting. I'm doing today what I had rather hoped that I'd be doing 20 months ago. But... Well, and I think instructively, you we began, you were talking about the community and the family and you've wrapped it up with the same words. There's something in that. Yeah, even, there's sure. a theme. There's a theme emerging. <laughs> um, it's fantastic to hear about you. More power on your journey. But thanks very much for going to chat to Until us. Until my pleasure. Thank you so much. That was the excellent Evelyn Webster, CEO of SoulCycle. You can learn more about the brand and their mission to move people to move the world at soul-cycle.com. And to keep across Monocle's take on doing better business, head to monocle.com now, subscribe to the magazine and ensure you follow all our programmes there or wherever you get your podcasts. This show was mixed and edited by Jack Dewars, Christy O'Grady and David Stevens. My thanks to all of them. And of course, thanks once again to Evelyn and the SoulCycle team. I'm Tom Edwards. Goodbye and thanks for listening to The Entrepreneurs.